0: Would you join me in Romans chapter 1 today? We're stepping outside of our Corinthian study just for a week. Generally at the end of a VBS uh, program, I'd like to take the opportunity to speak to those who have been part of it, uh, to parents who might have come today, just because their children were going to sing this morning. Um, Just a reminder of... uh, The things that uh, we know are true. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start reading here in verse number 8. I'm going to work my way all the way down to verse 17. All right? Romans 1 8 to 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, that perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gifts to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, "...while among you, each of us by each other's faith, by your, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and now have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done to give us the gospel. Today we're going to spend a little time looking at that wonderful thing that you have done for us. And I pray that our hearts are stirred by it. If there's somebody here this morning who does not know Christ as Savior, may this be the day that they understand what you have done for them, that they may have eternal life in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to understand it best so we could appropriate it into our lives, live lives that will please you. But most of all, live lives that are thankful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, past VBS week, so many children. Think of those as opportunities. Opportunities to share Christ with so many people. We don't know how the Lord will impact a life, but it's really quite exciting when he picks this one that's so young. They have so many years to live for him. I'm thankful I was able to hear the gospel message when I was quite young. Even though it was presented to us as a weapon, (laughs) even in the church I went went to, it wasn't so much good news. It was a weapon. Uh, They used the Bible's message to scare us into salvation. It worked, to tell the truth, in that sense. It worked because we were taught constantly that uh, we needed to get saved on a weekly basis. You know, my, my pastor growing up had quite a, uh, a system if he was keeping tally marks of how many people he led to the Lord. Because every week we, we claimed that we needed him again. And that really adds up the tally marks. But our church did not believe that anyone was secure in their faith. As a result of that, uh, we surely blew it during the week and we needed another salvation booster vaccine every Sunday. And that's what it was like growing up, to tell the truth. I've told you some of that before. But the reality was, I was ashamed of the gospel. I grew up in an in a experience that I was ashamed of the gospel. The neighborhood kids that uh, we played with on a daily basis would tease us because we went to church. They would relentlessly try to make us say bad words because we went to church and we wouldn't do that. The school I went to, it was a large public school a little ways outside of Gary, Indiana. It was about as pagan as it can be. Every now and then I'd joke and say they're all in prison now. But um, I'm pretty sure some of them were. The last thing you wanted to do at that school was to be labeled a Christian. Left me in a bit of a pickle, to tell the truth. Because I was taught I needed to pray before I ate any meal. Uh, I know that prayer is a great idea, but I was taught to treat it as a superstition. That if you don't pray before your meal, you might get poisoned. And those kind of things. That's what we were believing. Oh, if you open your eyes, you'll go blind too. So, there were certain threats that came along our way. And then you sit in a cafeteria with a thousand other pagan kids, and you realize... I've got to find a clever way to pray if I've got to pray and not go blind or get poisoned. You ever hear of the sneeze prayer? Where you just go, We were masters at it. How about this, Hey, look at that prayer. And when everyone looks over there, We get it over with. There was the, Boy, I've got something in my eye prayer. Because you had to keep them closed. We used all kinds of methods. We employed them all the time because we didn't want to be discovered. We didn't want to be discovered. Later in my high school years, seniors were making plans to go to college. You know, they always ask, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You know, everybody's curious. Where are you going to go? I had applied to Moody Bible Institute when I was a junior. And I knew I was accepted. I was going there. And why they accepted me, honestly, I don't know. At that time, I was a mess theologically. But somehow I got through the doors. But the students in my school had never heard of Moody. They'd never heard of Moody. It was 100 years old. The school was. It had radio stations in nearly every state, not to mention national, worldwide, and all the rest, too. And when somebody would say, so where are you going to go? I said, well, I'm probably going to go to Moody. And they got that funny look and said, "What? what what's that, a place for people with attitudes? What, what's Moody? I was taught that uh, these kind of things were not welcomed. Being a Christian was not popular. It was kind of scary to be labeled as one. I felt ashamed to tell the truth of Christianity. And that's probably somewhat natural in the sense that I was taught to be insecure in my faith. How am I ever going to tell an ungodly world that they need Christ if I didn't feel secure in that myself? When I read the book of Romans, this chapter especially we're looking at here today... We note very quickly that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was not a coward. We read his testimony in the book of Acts, how he boldly stood before godless kings to declare the gospel. We find him taking on philosophers in Athens. We, we see him arguing with Judaizers in just about every single town he went to. The Pharisees would be there and the Sadducees. He was once a Pharisee himself. We read how he was in a town called Lystra and they took him outside the town uh, gates and stoned him and left for dead. And in my opinion, I think he probably was. But the Lord restored him. He stood back up on his feet and he walked right back into that town. Most of us would have gone the other way, I think. He had to continue his ministry. The Corinthian church had a very poor opinion of the Apostle Paul. Even though he was their father, so to speak, in the faith. They looked down upon him as a very insignificant person. The depiction was that he was a short, bald-headed man with a crooked nose or something like that. And he couldn't see well. They said he had a weak voice. Not very impressive at all. And they measured everybody by their stature and their voice and their eloquence and their appearance. And Paul didn't measure up too well. And they tried to shame him into silence. Yes, this was a Christian church. They questioned his authority to speak to them as an apostle. And Paul, in that second book to the Corinthians, in chapter 11, he says, You forced me to speak this way. You forced me to tell you something that you probably don't understand. But I want to tell you... And this is where he starts in verse 16, and I'm just going to read it to you. Just listen to his voice as he speaks. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I may boast a little. What I am saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, our boasts also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, just as I am bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Now I'm going to speak as if I'm insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews Twenty or thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. I've been in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen, and dangers from the Gentiles, and dangers in the cities, and dangers in the wilderness, and dangers on the sea, and dangers among my false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. I've been in hunger. I've been in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from any external things. There is also the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the, the eunuch there under Artathes, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascans In order to seize me. And I was let down through a basket in a window, just through the wall, and escaped from his hands. Now, I would say that most of us haven't experienced any of that in the course of our life. But this testimony of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was proven by the experiences that he suffered in the name of the Lord. Yet the questions still seem to arise. Paul, well, you call yourself bold and you've been through a lot of things, but you know what, Paul? You've never been to Rome. You've never been to Rome. You, are you willing to go to the center of the universe and proclaim the gospel there too? Will you go to Rome? Are you willing to go to Rome? It's the hub of society. It's where the emperor lives. It's where you can proclaim a message that stands against the emperor and stands against the citizens of that place. It's the Super Bowl of all the places. To go to Rome was climbing to the top of the rung of the ladder. To those who went there, they stood under the strength, the awesomeness of the power of Rome. Up to that time that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he had not been there yet. You heard that as I was reading the passage in chapter number one. He had heard that there were believers in Rome. He wondered at the degree of their theological understanding. He decided he'd write to them. because, And this book, the Romans, is probably the most doctrinal book we have in the New Testament. He wanted to discuss nearly every point of teaching. It it was like the book of Romans um, when he covered these points. It's like a a theological uh, book right in front of us in every single way. But he wrote it before he ever got there. Was the intimidation of the Roman environment so great that Paul would shrink back from going there and speaking the message of Christ Himself. Verse 8, you saw it. Chapter 1. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve, in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness how I unceasingly make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Jump down a couple of verses to 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that how often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. Jump down a few more verses. Verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I... I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to take a few minutes with you here this morning and reflect upon those words you just heard in verse 16. The gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Everyone. Those are the words we read. It's for the Jew. It's for the Greek. Paul also had mentioned it's for the barbarians. <laughs> it's for the wise. It's for the foolish. It's interesting. In Paul's day, they divided the world between Jews and non-Jews. They called them Greeks. Gentiles. Different terms they would used for them. Our world divides up as well. Today we divide up in two genders. Male and female doesn't matter what the rest of the world says, it's still true. It's very interesting. No one is left out of the opportunity of believing the message of the gospel. Nobody's left out. It doesn't matter what time zone they live in, or what area code they live in. It doesn't matter their gender, their nationality, or the country they belong to. The gospel is for everyone scripture says it's for me it's for you it was the angel's announcement if you remember at the birth of Christ the angels came to the shepherds and said to them do not be afraid for behold i bring you good news of great joy which will be for who all the people for all the people But today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gospel is not for the intellectual only. It is not for those who are spiritually elite. It is not solely for those who have a religious track record. It's for those who need a Savior. That's the gospel. Last time I looked at it, all of us need a Savior. For all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Isn't that what it says? And does it also add that the wages of sin is death? And there is no hope without Jesus. There is no life. There is no truth. There is no light. There is no forgiveness. Unless somebody puts their faith in Him. No one comes to the Father, it says, except by Him. The Gospel Is for everyone. Everyone is a big word. It incorporates the whole world. The gospel is for everyone, he said. For the Romans as well as the Corinthians. Why, it's even for Americans, is it not? We need the gospel in our land. Would you agree with that? Do you realize? Think of this for a minute. We have... What this world needs right now. We have it. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Congress cannot solve the problems. Laws cannot fix the problems. Incentives do not make disciples. Only the gospel can save. And the gospel is for everyone. And the gospel is for you. The gospel we also note in verse 16 is about salvation. It's about salvation. It's a wonderful world, word for somebody who's in trouble. Salvation. It isn't necessary to rescue somebody who's not in danger, you know. But as God's word declares, we are in danger. Ephesians chapter 2. Very interesting set of verses in chapter 2. As it starts off, verse number one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's not the best way to start a story, is it? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, the word trespass is a very graphic word. If you pull apart the little Greek word there and look at the parts and pieces of it, it means a false step. And that's the way we generally translate it. It's as if you're walking right on the edge of a very deep, Clip on one side, and you're stepping very carefully along the, the edge of that, trying not to stumble. And as you're walking, suddenly you take the wrong step. You fall headlong down the steep hill, and you're crushed at the bottom of it. And they say, well, that's a terrible looking picture. It is, because the word peritoma means to lay aside a dead body. A corpse beside a corpse. And that's the picture that Paul started with there in Ephesians 2 verse 1. It's not a wonderful thing to visualize, is it? But if you got the picture of this, the definition of trespasses is literally you had fallen and now you're laying alongside the other corpses, dead in your trespasses and sins. Guess what that means? That means you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You need to be saved because there is absolutely nothing you could do for yourself laying there in that condition. Ephesians goes on to add this. If that's not bad enough, in verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedient. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I was thinking of that giant mud pit that they had for BBS Friday night. You didn't see it. You didn't get to enjoy it either if you didn't see it. You could have rolled around in that with them. There's a lot of water at the end of the slip and slide. But it didn't stay clear very long. And it got darker and darker as the time went by. This picture in Ephesians 2 is that we've made a complete mess out of it. If you want the the kind of picture you could put in your mind, it's like falling into a muddy pit and we rolled over and over and over and over in it, covering ourselves with the filth of iniquity. That is Ephesians 2 as it begins the chapter. And it's amazing to me that anyone could look upon somebody in that condition and love them. Care for them. Have mercy for them. But the very next words in Ephesians 2, verse 4 is, But God, who is rich in mercy. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Rich in mercy. And because of His great love in which He loved us. Even when we were dead, laying there, wallowing in it, dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's an amazing thing to read. The gospel is all about salvation. That's what God sent it to do, to save us. And He did it with power. Power. The gospel of salvation is about power too. I'm not ashamed of that gospel, Paul writes. It is the power of God for salvation. The great thing about this gospel is we don't need to make it more powerful. We don't need to. It doesn't need batteries. It doesn't need solar panels. It's not based on my eloquence of words or the loudness I preach it. It didn't need a doctoral degree to be preached. It doesn't need an auditorium of 10,000 seats. It's not dependent on a TV studio. It doesn't perform better with a hundred-voice choir behind it or a praise band. The gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God. Sometimes we think we have to enhance what God has done to make it seem more powerful in our day and age. Vance Tabner years ago used to say, you know, the Bible, the Bible is powerful. The message of the Bible is powerful. It's like a lion. You don't need to defend it. Just let it out of its cage. You know, when God was thinking through things, and I don't even understand how that all works to tell the truth. But it seems like the gospel took precedence in God's mind, even over creation itself. Because he planned it, the gospel, before he even built the world. Before there was even a star in the sky, he had already planned out the gospel. There wasn't a giraffe, there wasn't a koala bear. The oceans that declare the glory of God, were not even there. Sun and the moon didn't even exist. We speak of those things that declare His His power and His divine attributes. But salvation was already in motion before any of these things happened. You know, we read in in the Gospels, especially of, of the miracles of blind people being able to see. That had to have been exciting, right? To have seen that in real life, to to have witnessed that, or maybe to have been the blind person. And suddenly your eyes are open and you can see. How about was it when, when there was a lame person walking that had never walked before? Or yet, maybe even greater than one who is blind and able to see, or one who is lame and able to walk again. What about the dead? coming back to life when Jesus told him to. Lazarus and that little girl, Jairus' daughter. Wow, what a change that was. He even messed up a funeral in Nain once. As they were going by. He stopped them and touched the the casket and brought the young man back to life. But one thing about being blind and being able to see, or being lame and being able to walk, or even being dead and able to live again, was that someday you'll grow old and your eyes will start to fade, and your walking might become limited, and eventually those who have been risen from the dead would die again. Must have been tough with insurance policies back then. Can you claim it twice? We think of these as miracles. And they are. They're astounding things that God can show that He can do. Raising up one who is dead in sin, though. Think of this. He gave them eternal life. That changed them forever. Not just something temporary, but it lasts forever. When a young child comes to faith in Jesus Christ, or is senior citizens, you have seen the power of God. It's a miracle. And that's what God does. It's not by our power. It's not by your power. It's not by the power of good ancestors. It's not by the power of the church. It's not even a well-prepared sermon. Scripture says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in His name. They were born, not of blood, nor of the will of God, nor of the flesh, nor, I'm sorry, not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. It's God's power that saves. Only He can save. The same power that crushed Jesus on a cross is the same power that brought him back to life from the tomb. You may think that you are beyond His ability to save. You may say, well, uh, I, I've just done terrible things, Lord. You can't save me. But you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Jesus was talking to his disciples once, and there was a rich man that was talking to Jesus about what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And they had a dialogue about it, and the rich man went away without any hopes of eternal life because he didn't follow Jesus. And the disciples looked at him when Jesus said, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples heard that. They were astonished. They said, well, if they can't be saved, then we can't be saved. It's impossible. Because they had this hierarchy concept in their mind that the ones most likely to be saved are the Pharisees or the scribes or one who spent their life in ministry of some sort or in the Word or, or in religious circles. They thought that maybe the second group there would be the rich man, because he could afford anything. He could get there. And certainly, if you were way down that ladder, if they can't make it, you had no chance. And they said, then nobody, nobody's going to have eternal life. And Jesus looked at them and said, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's the power of God in salvation. The gospel is for everyone. That means it's for even you. The gospel is for salvation, and all of us need it. The gospel is the power of God because he can do it. The gospel is for those who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't take those two words off the sentence. Because this is not a universal salvation that just automatically happens to you. It's to those who believe. It's not based on being an American. It's not even based on being an Oklahoman. Can you believe that? Salvation is not bought, it's not earned, it's not traded for, it's not inherited. It's not an entitlement. It's not the right given to you in the Constitution. If you have it, it's because you believed in it. You heard the message. You realized that God was talking to you personally. You know that feeling, don't you? You realize God gave His Son for you personally. Jesus died on the cross for you personally. He died for your sins. And God called you by your name. And you heard his message. And you believed it to be true. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't say, wow, isn't that great? The scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And scripture says by grace you have been saved. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It is his grace. By grace are you saved through faith, so no one can boast. I'm not saved today because I had the wisdom to believe, or the power to believe, or even the good luck to believe. I am saved because I believed in Him who can save me. That's it. He can save me, not me. Not even my words are sufficient. It's His power that saves Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and you will be saved. That's an amazing thing. I could speak that to you today. And you can hear what God has said. And I could read it to you in Scripture. You can be saved. He can save you. Do you believe Him? Do you believe Him? How many times when the kids were real little... They'd be up on something high. It wasn't very high. It's usually about this high off the ground. But with little legs, it seemed like a long ways down. Daddy, catch me! How do you think Dad did? They trusted me. They dove off every time. And they expected me to pick them up or gather them up or keep them safe. Such a simple thing, isn't it? They believed that. So they jumped. They jumped. I'm not ashamed to speak of it. If nobody else on the planet will say it, I will say it. I know what He has done for me. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved. I was young, but I was saved. I was floundering. I was scared. I was superstitious. I grew up in a place as a coward. I was ashamed of the Gospel, but God was never ashamed of me. He loved me. That's an amazing thing when I look back over all those years and said, Why did you stick with me? Why did you stick with me? That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about me, folks. It's about the God who saves. His power, His salvation, His plan to everyone who believes. Do you know it? Do you know it yourself? I can speak to the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room. The message is the same. Because we don't change it because of your age or your education level or your occupation. We don't change it because of the size of your bank accounts. We don't change it because of of, uh, what kind of accomplishments you've had over the years. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I know I'm speaking to a bunch of people who already know that. And anytime time I walk down this road and I think about salvation, boy, do I, I start to feel it right here. He loved me. He died for me. He reached out to me when I was hopeless. And He saved me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, folks. It's not my power, it's His. It's the power of God for salvation. Because we all need it. To everyone, and that includes you, who will believe. Who will believe. Maybe today's the first time you've really understood that. He said, really? That's the nature of the gospel? Yeah, that's it. That's what he said right there in the text. Can you believe it? Do you believe it? You can believe it right now. You know, nothing magical about it. We don't have you parade around up here. We don't have anything special in this regard at all. You could be sitting there right in your pew right now, even while I'm talking, believe it or not. And you could talk to the Lord, and you could say, Lord, save me. Because God could save anybody, anywhere. Even in a pew? (laughs) Even in a pew. But if you'd like to talk about it, if you want somebody to explain it, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you want to make a public declaration that you have come to know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you are saved, you are welcome to come forward while we finish our service today. We're going to be singing a song in a few minutes, a closing song. People need the Lord. Are you a people? You need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, you can come right now. Scripture says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Would you believe it? Could you believe it? That's the gospel message we proclaim here. I love it, don't you? It's changed my life forever. It would change yours too, if you've never received Christ as Savior. I'm going to be up here while Paul leads us in our closing song. If the Lord's working in your heart and you want to talk to somebody, pray with somebody, just come on forward. I'll be here.